You're listening to the Assembly Call IU podcast and postgame show, the place where Indiana fans across the globe hang out online after every IU basketball game. Join us for our live broadcasts on Thursday nights and immediately following every IU game at our website, assemblycall.com. That's assemblycall.com. This episode of The Assembly Call is brought to you by SeatGeek. You know, buying tickets to sports and concerts can be complicated, but there is a better, simpler way to buy, and that is with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. With SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in literally just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed, which is great because there's really nothing quite like seeing your favorite team or musician in person, and SeatGeek is going to help you get closer to the action for great value. I used SeatGeek myself last basketball season here in Dallas to get tickets to go see Yogi Ferrell play, and I used them this offseason to buy my wife concert tickets so I can vouch for them from personal experience. They are my go-to app when I need tickets. SeatGeek saves me time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals, and they can do the same for you. And best of all, listeners to the Assembly Call get $20 off of your first SeatGeek purchase. All you have to do is download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code ASSEMBLY, A-S-S-E-M-B-L-Y, today. That's promo code ASSEMBLY, and you will get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. And now, get ready for another brand new edition of the Assembly Call. And welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most important IU basketball stories from the past seven days. This is our 49th edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 341st episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of Thursday, October 19th, 2017. I am your host, Jared Morris. And let's begin this week how we begin every episode of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud banner moment. So here's a little twist. This week's banner moment hasn't actually happened yet. It will happen, or at least is projected to happen, on Saturday night at Hoosier Hysteria. That is when two five-star prospects from the class of 2018 will be in attendance and on official visits. Darius Garland and a young man from New Albany who you might be familiar with named Romeo. And while the news that Romeo's visit will be an official one rather than an unofficial one isn't earth-shattering, it is encouraging. It's yet another sign of his seriousness about Indiana, and it's one less official visit that he can take to another school. Now, I trust that both Romeo and Darius will receive extremely warm and enthusiastic welcomes from the Hoosier faithful, but they are not the only important prospects who will be in attendance. Let's not forget about the guys from the class of 2018 who are already in the fold. Jerome Hunter, Rob Finnessy, and Demise Anderson are all expected to be in attendance, And while we're all excited about Romeo and Darius, we certainly shouldn't take these four-star future Hoosiers for granted. 
And if we look beyond the class of 2018, there will be a number of younger recruits in attendance as well, led by two of the top prospects in the class of 2019, both from Indiana, Keon Brooks and Trace Jackson Davis. So obviously, it's a big night for the future of the program, having that many potential future stars in the building at once. And while we are all looking forward to watching the current Hoosiers scrimmage, and yes, we'll be hosting a live event, a live episode of the Assembly Call immediately following said scrimmage, because we're just that crazy about our IU hoops, nothing that we glean from the scrimmage will really be that important other than everyone avoiding injury. Knock on wood. The real importance of Hoosier hysteria lies in its ability to get fans hyped up for another season and, more importantly, to show off Hoosier Nation and Simon Scott Assembly Hall to recruits and their families, which is why nothing can be more important for the future of Indiana basketball than Romeo, Darius, Keon, Trace, and the rest of the recruits being excited and intrigued by what they see and what they hear on Saturday night. All right, now let me introduce my esteemed co-host for this week's show. Yes, just one co-host, as Ryan is off eating real pizza and gazing at Renaissance art in Italy. Uh, But my co-host tonight, he is a man who, in addition to being a world-class bracketologist and analyzer of substitution patterns, is now preparing for yet another season at the helm of his daughter's youth basketball teams. And yes, in case you were wondering, Ryan and I do plan to sit in the stands and heckle him anytime one of his girls misses a defensive rotation or takes an inefficient long two-point jumper, because that's on you, Andy Bottoms. No excuses. We demand accountability. <laughs> and- I, 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 don't even, I don't even know how to react to that. <laughs> They're first graders. This could really go off the rails quickly if people are heckling them, especially no. people not related to any of them. I feel like that could really, no, no, no. Could really get dicey for you from a personal standpoint. No, no, we're heckling you. We're heckling oh, you. Okay, just you. Oh, then just that's, you. Then we're, that's fine. We're keeping it then away from fine. the girls. Just heckling you. All right, Andy, what okay. is your bottoms line uh, from the last week in IU basketball? Uh, well, I mean, the first week of practice went well. I've got a, a team of excited, uh, a nine excited first graders, and then I'm, I'm helping with my older daughter's team. So there's 10 of them, but, uh, it was, it was a good week. So we're all, we're kind of bridging the gap between soccer and, and basketball season now. So excited to get them, uh, get them out there. But from an IU perspective, um, I thought about channeling my inner Ryan and ranting about, um, the big Ten's eventual use of, uh, common sense, I believe you would call it in, uh, in some of the decisions that were announced today, but I'm sure we'll talk about those later that came out of media day from, uh, from an IU perspective, you know, one of the things, uh, and the stories that I found interesting was one that Mike Miller, uh, had put out, uh, and it was about this, you know, this gold standard and basically, uh, IU awarding a gold Jersey to the guy who was most, uh, most productive in practice. And it, you know, sounds like, you know, Archie goes through and, uh, you know, it says, uh, awarding points to players who are work during practice, uh, runs through the good and bad moments. By the end of the week, player with the highest tally gets the, uh, gets the gold Jersey. And so, uh, I think just a really, a really cool thing and hopefully a tradition that will begin, uh, certainly good news to hear that, uh, Devante green won the first one. Archie had, you know, quite a bit of, of praise of him. It seemed like over the course of today, and it seems like he's in the running for it again this week. But I just thought, uh, you know, just in terms of, uh, you know, just in terms of accountability, that's one of the things that we've talked about. And, and one of the things about this whole gold Jersey concept that Archie talked about is, um, you know, for coaching staff, it's accountability, ability to answer questions directly on why things may not be as they seem. Uh, and, and really talking about, you know, to me, our best players over the course of time and practice have been the guys who, that get the job done in games. Sometimes you have what they call a gamer who's a little better in the games than in practice, but usually it's pretty accurate. 
And uh, it seems like something in a couple of the comments from the guys that they're really embracing, um, not just because they uh, not just because they the, the person who has it doesn't have to run sprints. Um, but, you know, Archie, the kind of the last line of this was everything we do, Miller said, is about competition. Uh, and that's what you want to see. Competition for playing time, competition internally to get better uh, and, and all those kinds of things. So I thought it was a really cool thing that, um, I, you know, I think we've heard. Everybody's been kind of hanging on every word. This was the first that I've heard about him doing that. Uh, and it seems like something that's really, you know, got the guys excited. So a, a cool thing from my perspective, I think that competition and, and you know, you, you play how you practice is the old adage. And it seems like that's really what he's trying to hone in on. Man, I love the gold jersey idea. That is awesome. I feel like we need to lift it somehow. Have like a, a, a gold cap or something that we wear on the show <laughs> for whoever had the best point on the on the previous week's show. I mean, Ryan's feelings would get hurt eventually, though, so, (laughs) I mean. Yes. All righty. So here's what we're going to discuss on the show this week. It is absolutely packed. Uh, We're going to start out uh, going over Big Ten Media Day, a few reactions to some of the more notable uh, things that were talked about at Big Ten Media Day, and then we're diving into our front court preview. So much like we did last week with the backcourt, we are really going to go in-depth on the frontcourt guys. Juwan Morgan, Deron Davis, Colin Hartman, Freddie McSwain, Tim Priller. Talk about the freshmen. We've got some advanced stats that we want to go over, uh, and I think you'll really get a lot out of this uh, in terms of previewing those guys and what they need to do to take the next step this season. Uh, so all of that coming on this episode of Assembly Call Radio. If we have time for questions at the end, we'll get there. But we have so many guys to cover that we might not get a chance to get there. Uh, don't forget, if you ever have to miss all or part of an episode of Assembly Call Radio, there are two great ways to catch up. You can subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, or you can watch the video replay or join our live broadcast by subscribing to our YouTube channel. That is at youtube.com slash assemblycall. And this quick reminder, the next time you're looking for tickets to a sporting event or a concert, remember our friends at SeatGeek. You can download their app, which is incredibly convenient and easy to use. Or if you just want an easy-to-remember URL that will take you directly to the IU basketball ticket listings on SeatGeek's website, here it is, iutickets.shop. For example, do you want tickets to either of Indiana's two exhibition games on October 28th or November 5th? Tickets are available for, last time I checked, as low as 9 bucks. Uh, or how about the season opener against Indiana State on November 10th? Tickets are still available for that one, too. And you can check out all the latest ticket deals on the SeatGeek app or at that URL, iutickets.shop, and get the best prices available. And if it's your first time using SeatGeek, don't forget the promo code ASSEMBLY. Use it when you make your first purchase, and you will get $20 back after that purchase. Again, the promo code is ASSEMBLY, A-S-S-E-M-B-L-Y. All righty. Well, you are listening to The Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms, my co-host on The Assembly Call IU postgame show. Uh, And Andy, let's kind of run through a few more of the more notable items from Big Ten Media Day. Obviously, the confirmation of the 20-game schedule and the protected rivalries was headliner news. The 20-game schedule will start next year. Indiana and Purdue will play twice every season. They are among the three protected rivalries, along with Michigan-Michigan State and Illinois-Northwestern. It goes without saying that we are all very much in favor of that. Uh, I also thought it was notable that we found out that Colin Hartman kind of turned his ankle. Uh, so he may not play Saturday night, but on the bright side, it doesn't sound like it's anything serious. It's nothing to do with the knee, uh, just an ankle and he should be fine long-term. 
And then, you know, the other note that I thought was really interesting was Archie's quotes about loving the Ken Pomeroy data and how much he really takes pride in seeing how his teams, you know, move up uh, when they have good performances and how disappointing and, and it is and how dejected he feels when his team moves down. He says they check it after every game, kind of like we do on the postgame show. So, Coach, if after the press conference you want to come live on the assembly call and we'll all check the Ken Palm data together, we'd love to have you uh, for those great moments after games. Uh, anything, yeah, that'd be great. Just, any, just us sitting here with Archie on everybody clicking refresh on Ken Palm. On that'd Ken be so Palm, amazing. Right. Yeah. Hey, you guys, uh, have you guys checked it yet? No. Oh, oh, look, we're up to whatever. That would be that would be outstanding. Uh, you know, radio, you know, video, whatever. It would be. It would be terrific. It would be incredible. Uh, it, those were kind of the, my big takeaways. Uh, Andy, anything from there that you want to react to, or anything else that we haven't covered yet from Media Day that you thought was notable? <laughs> You know, I mean, I think the the scheduling stuff and even uh, the about the Big Ten tournament being, you know, like four or five years being in Indy or or Illinois between that and the 20 games and the protected rivalries. It's like everybody congratulating the Big Ten. I'm like, I refuse to congratulate you on using common sense that everybody has been yelling about for however long that you need to figure this out and, and make it work. So, I mean, good that they finally have come to their senses on those things. But, um, you know, I struggle to uh, to do that. One, one of the other things that um, Delaney talked about in his comments was about that, you know, kind of week off uh, and, and with the Big Ten tournament being in New York this year and, and kind of how, um, you know, how that worked and, you know, didn't think it would hurt anybody kind of threw out the like, oh, 15 other conferences do it. I'm like, well, 15 other conferences aren't one of the top, you know, six leagues in the country and 15 other conferences who do it have, you know, a number of at large contenders that you can count on one hand. So I thought that was kind of a, a silly rebuttal to that. Um, to that notion, but the, the Ken Palm stuff was great. It, it felt a little bit like the, like celebrities, they're just like us. It's like, Oh, coaches, they're just like us. At least, at least us who are like doing the show now in the, you know, you know, three weeks before the season really gets started and, and doing whatever. So that was, that was cool to see that he embraces that stuff. I, I would not say that I'm surprised by that based on, you know, some of the other things, but I thought that was, you know, kind of cool to see him open up. It just, you know, so many of the questions have been asked repeatedly and it was at least an area that we hadn't really gotten his thoughts on. So I thought that was just inter- interesting a little bit to, to hear him uh, talk about, you know, how, how into that stuff he is and how closely he pays attention to it. Yeah, and the last interesting note for me was there was an interview that Archie and Rob and Colin did with Dave Revson. And toward the end, uh, Archie had this great quote. He said, uh, you know, Dave Revson kind of asked him, like, what it had been like adjusting to life in Bloomington. And, he's, and Archie said, it's overwhelming how many people live and die with what we do. And I, I mean, I'm just, who, who's he talking about? What IU fans are so crazy that they live and die with IU basketball? Weird. Yeah, Archie. I don't. I don't know who you're talking about, Archie. But that is uh, that is not us, clearly. Uh, but no. that invite to uh, refresh Ken Palm with us <laughs> still stands. Archie, still stands. Your, uh, yeah. No, but but what I loved about it is after that, Archie said we're obligated to that to work extremely hard to give them a team that they can be proud of. And I just I continue to be impressed by Archie's humility uh, and just how much it really seems to mean to him being at IU and how much he seems to love that camaraderie of people who just love basketball and are about basketball like he is, which is just another reason to, to think that it's going to be a really good fit. So, you know, look, I don't, I don't think you learn a ton from these media day events, but you know, those were a few interesting nuggets, uh, that we found, uh, that were interesting, but it is time now to move forward. It is time to talk players, and so coming up on the assembly call, we are going to dive into part one of our preview of the IU front court by discussing Juwan Morgan and Deron Davis. Stick with us. That's coming up next. 
Hey, just a real quick note here. The next time that you are going to shop online for IU gear, use the URL iustore.shop. That will take you to the official IU online store where they have anything you could possibly want. Candy stripe pants, the script Indiana warm-up shirt, all kinds of IU gear. And that URL, iustore.shop, is actually our affiliate URL. So when you use it and buy something, we get paid a commission. So it's a great way for you to shop for the IU gear that you need and to support the assembly call at the same time. Again, the URL is iustore.shop. Please bookmark it and use it the next time you're looking to buy IU gear. We appreciate it. Now back to the show. You are listening to The Assembly Call. I am Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms, my co-host on The Assembly Call IU postgame show. And it is time to dive into our front court preview for the 2017-18 season. And Andy, let's begin with Juwan Morgan, who is obviously a guy that we all think is extremely important this year. We've seen flashes of his potential during his first two seasons uh, in Bloomington. Obviously, injuries have gotten in the way, a little bit of inconsistency at time at times, but I think we all really feel like if he can stay healthy, you know, improve in certain areas, he can really have a big breakout as a junior. And so, you know, you and I both kind of did a deep dive into some of the advanced analytics. I looked at Synergy Sports. I know you looked at Ken Palm and, you know, we kind of came up for all of these guys with areas where they really need to take the next step. And and I think what was really interesting uh, with Juwan, Duran and Colin in particular was areas that they really were, were very good at last year, and Colin obviously the year before, that they can really build on. And so, you know, my big takeaway to begin here with Juwan Morgan is that he really needs to improve as a shooter, be closer to his freshman year. And if he can do that and maintain his efficiency elsewhere, especially on the offensive end, then what Archie talked about with him having now a responsibility for production, I think he'll have a really good opportunity to fulfill that responsibility for production and be a consistent double-figure type score. Look at some of these numbers. So I thought, you know, in looking at these numbers from Synergy, he was surprisingly effective on offense last year. In 233 possessions, he produced 244 points, which was actually in the 90th percentile, which is excellent. And if you isolate that into half-court possessions... In 198 half-court possessions, he was actually in the 95th percentile, but then struggled in transition, as actually a lot of guys did last year, and was actually below average in transition. But where he really, really struggled was as a shooter. Because as a jump shooter, in 34 possessions, he, could, he, he scored 26 points, which was 27th in the 27th percentile, which was below average. And if you isolate that down to catch-and-shoot possessions, where he had 23 He scored just 15 points, which was in the 12th percentile. And if you think back, that was really the big difference between Juwan as a freshman and Juwan as a sophomore is, you know, when he got open looks off of a great pass, he just wasn't able to convert because as a freshman, he was in the 98th percentile nationally in jump shot situations and was even better than that in catch and shoot situations. He was basically off the charts. And so, you know, if he can improve those numbers and become even just get back to average and then maintain his efficiency in the other areas. You know, he was great around the basket in the 93rd percentile scoring around the basket in non-post-up situations. In isolation possessions, he was in the 97th percentile. I mean, you think about the many times that he had his man at the top of the key and just drove to the basket and scored. He was really good in those situations. And so if he can keep that, 
and then improve his shooting, I think Juwan really, of all the guys on the team, I think, has the potential to really take another leap offensively, you know, become a guy who can score 12, 13 points a game consistently if those jump shots are falling. Uh, Andy, what do you see in terms of Juwan uh, in, in terms of his strengths that he's bringing to the table and what he really needs to improve on to take the next step. Yeah, it's it's interesting to to take what you you know found in synergy and and just contrast it with some of the more uh, simplistic is probably the wrong way to put it, but the more you know kind of basic things that um, you know in Ken Palm. But you know, so the one thing I think we kind of know what he is from a rebounding perspective. His defensive rebounding percentage is almost identical as a freshman and a sophomore. So I think that's one area you know exactly what you're going to get. Um, he was one of few guys whose turnover percentage got better, um, year over year, dropped quite a bit, I think from about 25 to about 17, um, and, and, or 23 to 17. So I think you, you, you have a guy who's going to take pretty good care of the ball and he shot really well on two point shots. So 65% on twos, um, did struggle to shoot from three was just 10 of 40 there. Um, and, and so I think those are all, you know, good things to build on. We know he can finish around the basket. The stats that you talked about really back that part of it up. Uh, yeah, the other thing that I noticed that, that you didn't you didn't touch on there was um, free throw rate. You know, one of the constant refrains that we had last week talking about the guards was that we didn't have guys that could get to the line. Um, we actually found that's not as true at all with the front court players. You know, Juwan's free throw rate was, you know, 56, uh, which is pretty high. It shot 74 percent, so did well when he got there. That dropped in Big Ten games, uh, I think partly because that was a time that he was injured and really just well, wasn't as explosive, wasn't able to you know really get around guys. But I think, um, you know, he is an efficient player, ranked 83rd nationally in what I saw in um, you know offensive rating at, at a 122, and even against you know it was 120 against you know tier A competition. The way that you know Ken Palm defines that, either by the the quality of the team in combination with the venue and was a one, you know, almost a one eleven against even conference competition. So, you know, we've seen that he can do that. We talk about some of these guys and those numbers drop off pretty dramatically. And you, and you see how much some of the schedules of past years have really allowed guys to, you know, kind of pad stats to look better than they might really be. Um, his don't show that at all. I mean, he's continued to be efficient against, against competition. Now the question becomes, um, you know, can he step that up as more of a focal point of the offense where he's easily been a complimentary piece these last couple of years? And I think that ultimately for me is the shooting that you mentioned as part of that. But uh, it's really just how comfortable is he, you know, that responsibility of production, those kinds of things. I mean, that's a big leap when we start thinking about, you know, usage rates and, and how many possessions that he's really a, a key part of. So that, from my perspective, is really the the key. And I think he can do it because, you know, he's got some of these foundational skills that we talked about that he can just build on and, and go from there. But definitely going to be... Um, and needs to be a different Juwan Morgan than, than what we've seen in, in some ways these last couple of years. And, and you know, you bring up a great point because he's never been at the top of the scouting report. I mean, even last year, you know, he was typically maybe at best, you know, the third option on offense. But a lot of times, you know, fourth or fifth option, especially his freshman year when those efficiency numbers looked so good. And so he's going to have to deal with that and deal with more attention and deal with better defenders being on him. Uh, and if he's ready to do that, and I think being able to shoot will really help him because then... You know, when he does get the ball at the top of the key, you know, we're on the wing. Guys may not be able to play right up on him, and that'll give him some space to move. Whereas if he's not, you know, making shots, you know, that's not going to be the case. And so if he can do that and really have that varied offensive game, he's really got a chance to take that next step. Now, the other thing that he's got to do is play well defensively. And I thought it was interesting that he, you know, if we know he has the skills to be a good defender and we've seen him be a good defender, he actually graded out as poor overall, uh, according to the synergy numbers, and was poor or below average 
in everything but his defense in post-up situations, which was excellent. Now, it was only 21 uh, situations, but he did a very good job there, and that's actually a theme that we're going to see because Deron Davis also uh, did a pretty decent job in post-up situations, and that's going to be important, obviously, with Indiana not having a tremendous amount of depth down low for those guys to be able to defend the post well. Um, but Juwan, you know, look, I think just being in a better defensive system, being on a team that pays more attention defensively, uh, I think is going to help everybody's defensive numbers because I think everybody was kind of, you know, pulled down by each other and by the bad scheme uh, last year. Uh, so anything else on Juwan before we move on? No, I was I was surprised by the defense. I think just because he's a guy that we see as being so versatile, um, but you know, I, I guess it, it might be one of those things that, you know, one multiple bad apples spoiled a whole bunch at that point, you know, everybody is, is kind of drugged down by that. I, I do think, you know, this, this goes back to some of the other conversations we've had in the off season in terms of like, you know, importance of, of certain guys. Um, you know, I think it's really hard to understate the, the importance that he has for the team, because I think he has a combination of skills, um, and a versatility that there really is no obvious replacement for if, if he should get hurt again, um, if he should struggle, um, there isn't another guy that you'd kind of lump into him. And I and probably say the same thing about Duran when we talk about him, but, um, just as you start thinking about guys who is there, is there an obvious replacement for him? If, if things don't go how we hope they go with him. And I don't think there is one. So, um, certainly, certainly important and, and really excited to see, how he embraces that role sounds like he was in contention for the gold jersey the second week, so that's a uh, a positive sign. I think we've heard Archie talk about a lot of things, um, you know, with him. So hopefully, hopefully that comes to fruition. I'm I'm excited to see what he can become in a in a more focal role within the offense. No, no question. Uh, you are listening to the Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms breaking down the IU front court. We just talked about Juwan Morgan. Andy, we got a couple minutes left in this segment. Let's start with Deron Davis. Uh, and why don't you kick us off here with Deron for a couple minutes, and then we'll pick up the rest of it uh, in the next segment. Yeah, he was, um, you know, fouls is kind of the the word for him, um, both his ability to draw them and his ability to commit them. <laughs> Um, you know, so he, he drew six fouls for 40 minutes and was called for seven fouls for 40 minutes. And, uh, there was a good story about him on on the athletic today, uh, talking about his, his weight loss. But one of the things they touched on in there was about the fouls and, and he has, uh, not been shy about attributing that to his poor conditioning and just being, you know, kind of, you know, laziness and not able to, to really be where he needed to be there. And, you know, they referenced that one, I think it was the Purdue game where he committed like three fouls and you know, 40 some seconds or, or whatever that, that number was. And so I think, you know, that's a big one for him because if he can continue to draw those fouls again, really high free throw rate up over 66, um, shot 75% overall from the line or close to 76 and almost 81% in big 10 games. So, um, he's got to be able to do that. Now the flip side of that is he's got to be able to finish through that contact around the basket where he didn't shoot well in two pointers. I think you've got, um, some other stats on that from synergy, but you know, under, 50% on twos overall and against tier a competition, you know, under 40%. So that really, um, not what you want to see. One of the things, and I usually, you know, kind of throw some of these comparisons out, but I, I picked this one only because, uh, I hope it's one that comes to fruition, but John Collins from, from wake forest, um, you know, last year ended up getting selected, uh, in the, I think he, he went in the lottery of the draft or pretty close there. I think he went to Atlanta. Uh, he was a guy who, you know, had, I think what was his freshman season compared to, uh, you know, compared to, to Duran's freshman season. So if you see similar progression, uh, I think we'd all be happy with that and, and him getting his way into those conversations and, um, you know, but like so many other guys, high turnover rate. So 
needs to get that fixed. But I think, you know, again, good building blocks, but it's funny you start to dig in a little bit and some of the things that even we would have said were great about him. Um, I don't know that the numbers show were as great as, as we thought. We just saw those glimpses of greatness that we all kind of hung on to. Not unlike the Jeremiah April turnaround jump shot. <laughs> wow. I did not think that we were going to get a Jeremiah April turnaround jump shot reference today, but there it was. Uh, Even beat Greg Graham, so that fa- was good. You know, <laughs> Fantastic work, Bottoms. That's <laughs> wonderful. Uh, okay, so yeah, so we're, we're about coming up on this segment. Um, you know, you have in here in your notes, you know, his offensive rebounding percentage being higher than his defensive rebounding percentage. Duran obviously needs to get better as a defensive rebounder, but you know he's got to keep that offensive rebounding percentage and his ability to score uh, on those offensive rebounds because he derived a lot of offense last year on putbacks. It was actually in the 83rd percentile in doing so, and we will get to uh, you know some more of those numbers here coming up in our next segment. So stick with us here on the Assembly Call. We will continue breaking down Duran Davis, what he needs to do to take the next step, and then also talk about Colin Hartman and the rest of the guys. That's coming up. You are listening to the Assembly Call. Go to assemblycall.com slash join right now or whenever it's convenient to learn how to subscribe to our email newsletter. If you want to get more out of being an IU basketball fan than you need to be on our newsletter list, you will get our weekly six-banner Sunday news roundups as well as our post-game analysis emails once the season begins. It is all free, and it will make you a smarter IU basketball fan. Again, the URL is assemblycall.com slash join. I am Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms, my co-host on the Assembly Call IU postgame show, and we are previewing the IU front court. We began talking about Deron Davis in our last segment. We're going to pick that back up right now. So, Andy, my big takeaway looking at the synergy data about Deron is that he's got to stay active on the glass, and I mentioned that in the last segment, and he's got to get better in post-up situations. So, you know, Deron graded out pretty well offensively. He was, you know, a good classification offensively last year in the 60th percentile. And he derived a lot of that offense from putbacks. So he had 32 offensive putback opportunities, and he scored 1.3 points per possession, which is in the 83rd percentile. That's excellent. The issue is that he was only average in post-up situations. So in 101 possessions, he scored 0.77 points per possession, which was in the 40th, 46th percentile, and that's just average. Now, here's what I found really interesting. When you add in situations in which he passed out of a post-up, so you add that to those 101 possessions, his efficiency rises to 0.93 points per possession, which is in the 67th percentile. And so what that shows you is how adept he is at passing out of the post and finding the open man. And, you know, Andy, I'm sure you recall many, many times last year talking about, you know, what a great find Duran made, you know, out of the post to a guy, you know, for a three-point shot or to a cutter. And so that really improves his efficiency. But I think for him to take the next step, he has got to score better in post-up situations on the block. And, you know, it, it Obviously, he had games. I think the Michigan game was one, uh, you know, where he came in and just started scoring bucket after bucket. But, you know, in, in a lot of games, it felt like, you know, because he played so low to the ground and, and didn't have great quickness, combined with kind of a low release on his shot at times, it really hurt his ability to get the ball up on the glass and to be able to finish in those situations. And so if the weight loss and the increased athleticism can help him have more stamina, be quicker, jump better... It really, you know, along with just the experience and the improved footwork of being a sophomore, it should improve his ability 
in those post-up situations. And another thing to kind of watch is his numbers. He was much, much better and more comfortable on the left block than he was on the right block. And then my final note, Andy, about Duran when it comes to defense is, you know, as with all the Hoosiers, you know, he wasn't very good defensively overall last year, but he was actually pretty good around the basket and actually graded out as very good defending post-ups where he was really bad and was below average was defending spot-up shooters. And, you know, think about how many times you saw a struggling, slow Deron Davis trying to recover, you know, to a wide-open shooter or trying to defend a pick-and-roll. Again, increased stamina, increased athleticism hopefully will help him in that area really shore up a weakness. And if he can shore up that weakness and then get better in those post-up situations that on offense, that breakout that everybody is expecting really could happen and really looks possible given what you expect him to be better at this year. Yeah, I think it was it was funny you kind of talk about the athleticism piece and and one of the other things in that um in our continued unsolicited uh advertisement for the athletic they they talked about how he go they've been having him go back and watch his tape from high school. Um so, you know, not unlike Ryan, they're really you know wanting to get their hands on that tape, but you know, just to kind of go back and show him like how explosive he was and things like that and he feels like he's getting back to that and I think when you really start to think about some of those finishing and some of the post-ups and, and, and those things that might have been a struggle for him, um, you know, you wonder how much of that is uh, doesn't feel like a stretch to say that, that a lot of that could have been related to his conditioning and things like that. So I think that is going to serve him well uh, on both ends of the floor because, you know, again, he he talked about how you know, just didn't have the stamina to, to really be where he needed to be defensively. And again, some of these guys who will just kind of wear you down and beat you up inside – doesn't take very long before you you really get worn down and um and, and you know make poor decisions and things like that. So I think um you know obviously it's it's great to see the weight loss and all those kinds of things. Um you want to see more how that actually manifests itself on the floor, but I think when you look at the deficiencies that you kind of called out that he had, um those seem to be uh it doesn't feel like a stretch to say that the strides he's made physically will help with those. Um, nor does it seem like the things he's done physically will in any way detract from the things that he was already good at and that kind of foundation that was already there. Yeah, and, and when he came in, he was a guy that was kind of known or, or I thought was expected to be able to step out and make you know a 10-foot jumper or a 14-foot jumper, and we didn't really see that much last year. If he can add that to his repertoire as well, that will also help his offensive game. So we will see. Yeah, and I think one of the things with him was last year we we constantly had this conversation of like, can you play him and Thomas Bryant together? Is that really what's best for the team? Like, you don't have that argument anymore. There's really no other true big guy on the team. So, whether we see him step out a little bit more, maybe. Um, can you but I play Duran and Priller together? Is the question. Uh, well, I kind of hope we don't have to find out, but yeah, I mean, I suppose you could uh, if you, if you had to. I mean, Tim, unless it's produced come out Priller, and, and then he needs to well, play forty minutes a game. Well, absolutely. And if it's Northwestern Tim Priller, then he can come out and set 18 screens to get Duran free inside. So, uh, so perhaps the answer to our question is yes, based on our, yes. our our recollections of Priller from those games. Yes, yes. And let's keep it let's keep it positive to those games. Hey, look, he showed that he can be a guy in those games, a productive player for a few minutes. So hopefully, we get more of that Tim Priller this year because he can be useful. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms. You are listening to the Assembly Call, and we are breaking down the IU front court. Andy, let's move on to Colin Hartman. You know, and I have to say, he was the one looking up the numbers in Synergy that surprised me the most. And the the first question that came to my mind, and I, I wrote it down right here on our notes, is 
are we underrating his impact? So listen to these numbers, because again, they, they really surprised me. Obviously, there aren't numbers from last year because he was hurt and didn't play. But you go back to 2015, 2016. And obviously, that's a totally different context. That was a team with Yogi Ferrell, an offense that was just you know beautiful and functioning at a really high level. Overall, his offense was good. He was in the 61st percentile in 193 possessions. And he actually struggled uh, a bit more in the half court than he had in his previous season because of poor catch and shoot numbers. He was only in the 48th percentile as a catch and shoot guy. And, you know, Colin is a guy that you expect to be able to make those opportunities and just didn't quite shoot as well. And obviously those numbers were dragged down toward the end of the year because of the wrist injury that he had. But he was really good in the half court. He was really good in ISO situations. He was really good in transition. And he rated out as a good defender. So that was Colin in 2015-16. Now think back to the 2014-15 season. I apologize for bringing up memories of that season, but just think about Colin specifically. He was rated as excellent in 142 offensive possessions in the 95th percentile in terms of his scoring efficiency in those possessions. He was excellent as a shooter. He was excellent in transition, and he also rated out as very good defensively. And you'll remember, that was not a good defensive team. And so those last two years, you know, where Colin has played on defensive teams that weren't that great, he rated individually as a good or very good defender. So to me, when you look at Colin's leadership, just from being a senior and being around and being in the different Big Ten arenas, what he can do in terms of spacing the floor, if he gets that shooting touch back, and I think we all expect that he will, plus kind of the varied offensive game that he has. You know, he can drive. He can go get rebounds and get putbacks. He can, you know, do some things and transition and be a good ball mover in the half court. You know, when you add that, plus his ability to defend for a team and a coach that really wants to make that a focus, I really do wonder if we're underrating his impact a little bit and if his impact will truly come through in the stat sheet anyway. And I know that's kind of a cliched thing to say about Colin Hartman because hashtag Colin Hartman things and all of that. But, you know, I really think that when you kind of dig deeper in the numbers, beyond the box score numbers, it really does start to illuminate some of his value. And I think he can really play, we know he's going to play a key role, but I'm starting to think that his importance for this year's team is even greater than what I had been uh, kind of anticipating. Yeah, one of the things, um, I think this is one of the IDS uh, articles that I read uh, out of today um, was was about there was a lot of quotes in there with Archie talking about using Hartman to facilitate a little bit more um, because of that basketball IQ and um, you know making the right reads and making the right decisions. Um, talked about putting him in more positions as a playmaker, and it was it was funny because I had you know one of the notes I jotted down was around his assist rate. You know, only twelve percent as a junior. Can he be more of a facilitator? Because the same you know, basketball IQ that comes into play there is the same thing that allowed him to be a good defender on just a god-awful defensive team. I remember in that 2014-15 season, we would come on after the show and be like, this is the only dude who looks like he has any idea where he's supposed to be defensively. And I that think Ryan part- said that 50 times that season. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, also he stood out like a sore thumb because he was he literally <laughs> was the only guy who knew where he was supposed to be. But, um, you know, actually, I he, see, he see, was the healed thumb. He was not the sore thumb in that oh, in true, that metaphor. True, but true or analogy. He, yeah. But but, you know, so I think some of those things like his, you know, his understanding of the game, I think, becomes really important there. And so if that's true, um, I do think he becomes more important because, you know, you still have probably some lingering point guard type questions. And while he's not a, you know, a true point guard by any means, you know, it sounds like you'll see times where he's, um, you know, 
doing the right reads and that, you know, kind of coach on the floor, all the other, you know, cliches that you want to, you want to throw out there. But I do think that, I do think that matters. I think if he can get back to shooting the way that he did, um, again, I mean, his three point percentage was pretty good in his junior year. It just, you know, torpedoed when, you know, you know, when he got hurt. So, um, you know, I think that can, be, that can be a positive and, and, you know, he shot even that year, he shot 57% on two. So he was still a good, uh, a good shooter. And I think when you talk about floor spacing, uh, he has to be a guy that's able to do that again on a team where don't have quite the, the depth of three point shooters as there was a year ago. So, you know, he, he's going to have to wear a lot of different hats in the offense, but I think, um, like you said, I think when you start looking at some of it, you probably could be underrating him. And part of that, I think, is that we just haven't seen how he's going to be used. We know how he was used in Tom Crean's system. Uh, and similarly, I, you know, I, I doubt we'll see some of the Juwan Morgan initiating offense type things. It, it feels like those things might fall more to Hartman, at least based on, you know, my interpretation of what I read today. But it is, you know, it, it does start to get really interesting when you think about this team in, in the half court, you know, having two forwards like Hartman and Juwan. Obviously, they, they need to you know improve their shooting over what they did the last time we saw them. We've, we've covered that. But you know their ability to drive, their ability to create, their ability to do a lot of different things in the half court gives this Indiana team a, a, a good amount of versatility, especially if you're surrounding Deron Davis and he improves his efficiency in the post. And if you can get... I mean, you know, we all expect Robert Johnson to be pretty consistent. If you can get something from the point guards, be it Newkirk or Devontae Green, you've really got some flexibility in the half court and some interchangeable parts and different guys who can do different things that should make this team, you know, not obviously like they were two years ago with Yogi leading the show, but can present some different looks and be difficult to guard for opposing defenses in different ways maybe than Indiana's been in the last few years. Yeah, I mean, definitely different. I think that's one of the things as we start thinking ahead to, you know, this weekend in the scrimmage is just and we may not see Hartman, but but starting to understand a little bit better. You know, Archie talks so much about roles and guys settling into those. But what does that actually look like on the court? So, um, yeah, I do think that'll be I do think that'll be interesting. Hartman also did a really good job pulling off the uh, red jacket today at the media day. So, yeah. How about that? Uh, And Robert Johnson with the purple. Yeah. I mean, the guys were looking good. They were looking dapper. You got to give them that. That's for sure. Absolutely. Uh, All right, let's talk Freddie McSwain uh, in this segment as well. And, you know, look, Freddie is an interesting guy. Obviously, he's he's rough around the edges. uh, But already, I think you mentioned this earlier, you know, he was one of the three guys mentioned as being in the running for that gold jersey, you know, along with Devontae Green, Jawan Morgan. Freddie McSwain was another guy that Archie mentioned. So let me give you these numbers on Freddie McSwain. Andy, you are not going to be surprised by these at all. All right. Freddie was excellent in putback opportunities last year. He was in the 83rd percentile, uh, 1.31 points per possession in putback opportunities. Now, where he really struggled was he was below average as a cutter. So when he received the ball as a cutter, 0.91 points per possession, which was in the 20th percentile. And poor Freddie was 0% as a spot-up shooter. Now, that's just not his game. So I don't think you'll see Freddie shooting very much. And to his credit, I think a lot of those shots came, you know, kind of in garbage time type situations. He's a guy who pretty much knew his role and didn't try and go outside of it. But I think he was on a strict only shoot against SWAC and MEAC teams uh, program, I I believe. Yes, yes. Or on, you know, just beautiful, powerful follow up dunks. 
So obviously for Freddie, he's got to build on what he did well last year, and that is being an offensive rebounding machine, You know, being opportunistic, kind of a garbage man type on the offensive end. But we saw some growth from him toward the end of the year. You know, you'd often see him, you know, flash from the corner. Think back to some of those cuts Troy Williams often used to make, you know, from the corner to the bucket along the baseline. And, you know, he would be fed and dunk, and he was great at finishing. And Freddie would try and do some of those last year, but kind of had stone hands for a while and lose the ball, or if he got the ball, wasn't adept at finishing. We saw him get a little bit better at catching and finishing toward the end of last year. If that improvement continues, he improves his hands, he improves his balance, improves his awareness so that he can finish those cuts, and now he can be a guy who creates offense off of offensive rebounds and in cutting situations when the defenders kind of forget about him because he'll obviously be you know, the fifth focus for the opposing defense when he's on the floor. Now he adds a little bit more value on the offensive end. And then where he obviously has to get better is defense. You know, on a poor defensive team, he rated out as poor overall. And he was actually poor in every area, except that he was good around the basket. And that is something important to build on because with Indiana's, you know, lack of depth down low, and obviously, you know, some of the guys who are being counted on down low who have been injury concerns in the past, we may see Freddie getting pressed into action where he has to do a little bit of, you know, A.J. Moye-type defense and defend guys bigger than him. So the fact that last year in limited time he was good around the basket, you know, gives me some hope that he can defend in that way again this year. So, you know, I, I don't, you know, Freddie is obviously going to be a guy who's on the fringe of the rotation. You know, I don't think you're going to see him playing more than, you know, six, eight minutes maybe at most. But I think if he can get in there and really provide a spark with his energy and find ways to create offense uh, in the ways that I mentioned and then be a solid defender, he can carve out an important role on this team. And based on the comments from Archie Miller, it sounds like he's starting to do that in practice, which is really encouraging. Uh, what did you find about Freddie? And is there anything that I just said that surprises you? Uh, no, I don't think any of it, any of it surprised me. I mean, he had the, you know, albeit in, in fewer minutes, best offensive and defensive rebounding percentage on the team. Uh, like Duran, though, fouls were a big problem. He averaged 9.1 fouls for 40 minutes in Big Ten games. So um, that becomes, you know, it, for a guy who, yeah, you're going to need to try to steal minutes from, um, certainly going to need to cut down on that because there will be games when people get in foul trouble. They're going to need a lot from him. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him get 10 minutes a game um, if he can continue to do these things well because I think he's the kind of guy that Archie is really going to like uh, as long as he can play defense. But I think just from a you know more rugged guy inside that's you know really going to hit the glass and, and again – here's a specific role. You go out and do these things. You know, Archie feels to me like he's treating these guys like a, you know, each one of them, their game is like a tree and he's trying to prune out the stuff that they're not good at and say like, this is what you're going to go do. And I think he can do that with McSwain um, at this point and, and be able to get a lot out of him. And it sounds like he is already. So uh, again, another guy who good free throw rate, again, limited minutes. Uh, the turnover rate was atrocious, almost 30 uh, against tier A teams. So, uh, you know, not unlike, you know, he quickly adapted to the culture in into which he was thrown uh, in terms of turning the ball over and playing poor defense. So, um, but no, I, I honestly think he's going to be a really important guy for this team. And there'll be games that we look back at uh, and really say, you know, he came in and had, you know, a great eight minutes um, that really allowed IU to get rest and made some plays that, that eventually were the difference in a close game. Yeah, I agree. All right, let's save Tim Priller for the next segment. We'll also talk about the new guys, Clifton Moore, Justin Smith, what they need to do uh, to earn time. That is all coming up on the assembly call. Stick with us. And if we have any time at the end, then we will get to your questions as well. Uh, before we wrap up, that's coming up next.
You are listening to The Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms, my trusty co-host on The Assembly Call IU postgame show. And Andy, let's wrap up our in-depth analysis of the front court and let's talk about the guys that we haven't mentioned yet. Let's hit him quickly. Let's start with Tim Priller. Obviously, he enters his senior season. He's a guy who has not played a lot of minutes, uh, but you know we all remember fondly the minutes that he played last year against Northwestern when he came in and set some of the best screens that have been seen in Bloomington since Brian Sloan. Uh, and then against Purdue was a legitimate threat, and there was legitimate like Priller mania there for a few minutes as he you know, single-handedly kind of brought Indiana back in that game and I think cut it to six in the second half before Purdue reasserted their dominance last year and took off. But I think what we saw there was a glimpse of what a productive Tim Priller can be. And if he can be that guy in three, four-minute stretches in certain games when, you know, guys maybe have foul trouble or dealing with fatigue or there's injuries, then I think he can really end his Indiana career, you know, as less of kind of a you know, a sideshow and a guy that fans cheer for at the end of the game and and more of a guy who really contributes to some important victories. And I think he's got that in him, and I think it's fair to expect that of him as a senior, and now it'll be interesting to see if he can do it. Yeah, I mean, the reality is I, I don't disagree with anything you said, but in looking back, I mean, he played seven meaningful minutes last year in those two games that you talked about, and he did play well. I, th- I think it was Ken Bykoff who sent the tweet out that he was going full Brian Sloan <laughs> yeah. uh, when he when he came in that Northwestern game, which was, which was absurd that... Screen, I don't know what. Yeah, if <laughs> I don't know if in synergy they have any kind of like screen related statistics, but that would be just <laughs> off the charts in that. But yeah, I mean, I think you know, and Archie made comments about that in the off season that he has to transition from. Uh, I, I forget how he put it, but there was just you know something of you know you can't just be the you know human victory cigar and and you need to be able to do uh, to do more. So hopefully he'll be able to. I think it's as you said, not unfair to expect that from him as we you know move into his senior year. All right, now, unfortunately, we only have a couple of minutes to talk about two guys who really hold a huge key for Indiana's season. I think these two freshmen, really, their development can change the ceiling of Indiana's season because they each bring something unique. Justin Smith brings explosive athletic ability. You know, he's a he's a mature player, I think, for a freshman, just in terms of his mentality. We will have to see, you know, how he shoots, how he handles the ball, if he's ready to defend. But I think his athleticism and his physical maturity will get him on the court early. And then you have Clifton Moore, who, you know, Archie was kind of, you know, talking about how he's kind of like a guy on ice skates at times right now. But I think from everything you hear, it sounds like people have been more impressed than they than they thought they would be with where he is in terms of his game. You know, his offensive versatility, you know, kind of how quickly he's picking things up. And these two guys are guys to me that like Juwan Morgan and OG Ananobi when they were freshmen, they may come along slow early, but if they can emerge in January and February and March and play big minutes, or not big minutes, but you know, play more important roles, they can give Indiana a dimension that they won't otherwise have. And that can really change what this team is capable of and, and what kind of teams they're capable of beating. Clifton Moore, especially when you have a six ten guy who can step out and shoot and run the floor and do all the different things he can do if he can get on the floor and stay there and, and be a productive defensive player as well. So, you know, we don't know a lot. We don't have stats to go on, so there's not much to break down. But that doesn't mean that these guys aren't important and can't really change the trajectory of Indiana's season based on how they develop. Yeah, I think Smith, you know, I talked before about, you know, not being a clear you know, replacement for Juwan Morgan. I think I think Smith is as close as we've got to that. Uh, at this point, so I think he, you know, you think about some of the wing players in the Big Ten. Uh, if he's a guy who can come in and play good defense, that's his ticket to, to playing time. 
And and for more, again, we all wonder what happens when Duran has to inevitably go out, uh, whether this team ends up having to play really small or whether they have a, a capable replacement who can kind of give a different look based on what his skills are than what Duran would give. Um, you know, that's that's clips and more is the tipping point in that part of the discussion. No. No question. All right. To end, I want to relay this email from Assembly Call listener Justin Schaefer, who says, very interesting Twitter statistic that could be good fodder for the show. So here it is. So this morning, Romeo Langford tweeted, IU official visit this weekend. And he has done that for all of his official visits so far to Vandy, to UCLA, to North Carolina. So here are the comments, retweets, and likes for each of them. For Vandy, 71 comments, 89 retweets, 487 likes. For UCLA, 59 comments, 95 retweets, and 617 likes. For the North Carolina one, 90 comments, 224 retweets, and 1,000 likes. This Indiana tweet, 123 comments, 890 retweets, 3,375 likes. Obviously, there is one fan base that wants Romeo more than any other, or maybe just a fan base that's on Twitter more talking about basketball. Either way, Romeo, we know the choice that you should make come to Bloomington. All right. That will do it for us on this week's episode of The Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live and be part of the live chat, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording, or you can always subscribe to our podcast by searching for Assembly Call wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget, go to assemblycall.com slash join to join our free email newsletter. Thank you for listening. We will be back to talk IU hoops again with you next week. Until then, keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim, and go Hoosiers. Thank you for being here and for listening to this episode of The Assembly Call. We appreciate it. And we really do rely on the support of audience members like you to keep our show going and to keep growing. And so we have set up a page on our website at assemblycall.com slash support that lists five ways that you can support The Assembly Call. And we encourage you to choose whichever method is the easiest and most convenient for you. One of the methods is donating, and so many of you have donated, and we appreciate it so much. On that page, you can choose a monthly recurring donation or an annual recurring donation or just a one-time donation, whatever works for you. And if you don't want to donate, another way to support the show is you can use our affiliate URLs, iutickets.shop or iustore.shop when you're going to shop for tickets or gear, and we will get paid a small commission when you use those links. But however you support the show... We appreciate it. Thank you. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. Real estate agents can get full visibility into their clients' loan status and help them get to closing faster with Rocket Pro Insight. Sign up today at rocketpro.com slash real estate. Offer cost information conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. MLS and Simmeraccess.org number 33. Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate, you can save up to 25%. Mm -mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.